This episode of the Golf.com podcast is brought to you by the USGA. The USGA and RNA received comments from more than 22,000 golfers in 102 countries as they reviewed the rules of golf this year. For more on the changes that are expected for January 2019, visit usga.org. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back for another podcast with The Knockdown. Thank you for listening, as always. In the new golf magazine, I have a column about Dean Wilson. Of course, you remember Dean. He won the international years ago. Very pure swing. Made a lot of fans because he was so gracious when he was paired with Annika at the Colonial. And then uh, Dean went to an early retirement, and people had been wondering about him. And for whatever reason, this story really struck a chord and a lot of readers and Twitter followers wrote to me said we need more Dean Wilson we absolutely have to get a podcast with Dean so um, ask and you shall receive he's on the line now Dean thanks so much for being here wow my pleasure Alan (laughs) so you were just enjoying a a quiet retirement in in San Diego and I barged into your life and uh, what's the (laughs) what's the reception been like in your world since this story came out Oh, just lots of positives. Um, a lot of people, I guess, you know, the question is, what am I doing? And, and if it has nothing to do with tournament golf, people are just wondering if I'm happy or I'm sad or I'm depressed. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, that, that could, it couldn't be farther from the truth. I live the same life. I just don't play any tournaments, and I, I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's such a hard concept for people to wrap their head around that someone who's you know, an athlete who's healthy and still productive would, would just give up the glory and the fame and the money. And why did you walk away? Um, I'm not too sure. I get, you know, I, I, I just found that I wasn't enjoying myself out there. Um, it was, it's been a long time. You know, I started playing professional golf right out of college at at 22 and, and kept going till I was about 44. So that's 21 years. And I just kept, kept playing and, uh, it just kind of got a little boring to me. I, I felt like there's something else I could do. And, and, uh, so I just decided to walk away and try to try to do some other things and live a little bit rather than just, uh, continually playing tournament golf and stressing about tournament golf. You know, I wanted to experience some, different things and take that out of my life i mean i mean i think that's great and as opposed to the average fan you know i get a glimpse of of the grind of tour life um in my own travels and and just watching you know players finish up sunday night fly on to the next tournament it's uh you know you're in the gym you're on the putting green you're tinkering with equipment you have sponsorship obligations tournament parties pro-ams and then, and then it just it cycles back up. I mean, how 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 fatigued did you become with just the grind of tour life? Well, it wasn't so much the fatigue of it was just I, I just kept doing it. And and what I like to tell people is I you know, I played golf for twenty one years. I played a lot of tournaments. I averaged about thirty five tournaments a year all my years on the tour. And then before I got on the PGA tour, I did that too. And uh, you know when you add up. When you do the math for 21 years and uh, 35 weeks a year, that ends up to be almost 17 years in a in a hotel, and <laughs> half of that for me was overseas. So, you know, just staying in a hotel, getting up, playing golf, um, stressing about it, 
Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a great life. I, I just got a little tired of it. I, 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 I still enjoy playing golf. I enjoy playing it um, at a casual level with friends so everybody can enjoy it. And, uh, you know, like we did, what we did up in Bandon. Sure. And, uh, and, you know, that's it. I just, I just kind of wanted to do something else and see if there's more facets to this diamond, you know, but I'm not sure. No, that's well said. And and the guys on tour, you know, who you're friendly with, do they understand, or are have they been confused by the choice? (laughs) You know, I get a handful both ways. You know, some guys. There's a lot of guys out there that um, um, I think feel the same way that I do. That are really having a good time, but. right when it gets to tournament golf, it gets a little stressful and, and they're not enjoying it as much. And, and so I think there's some that understand it and, and would like to do the same thing and haven't done it. Um, but then there's also a bunch that are a bit confused why I would walk away, why I would, wouldn't continue to play. Like you said, if I'm healthy and, and, uh, but I am playing, I'm just not entering tournaments. You know? <laughs> I love that. Well, I mean, that's one of one of the the cute things about about your journey here is you wound up at, at Goat Hills Park in in Oceanside, California. And some of some of you listeners know about Goat Hill. It's it's kind of this uh, very humble, very short public course in a scrappy little corner of the world. And and a mutual friend of, of Dean and mine, John Ashworth, he's kind of made it this this passion project to um, to bring the course back to life. And he has a caddy program for the kids in the neighborhood and. I love that you that you know a PGA Tour winner and a guy who won six times in Japan and has banked all this this PGA Tour money hangs out at Goat Hill. What is it about that place that that, that speaks to you? Oh man, you know, I grew up at a at a public golf course, a municipal, and and so I guess that's where my roots are. And as I retired and and joined a couple of country clubs down here, you know, as a as a professional, I can't play any of the tournaments, you know, any of the club <laughs> tournaments. And so I'm kind of like in a gray area. I tell people I'm not playing PGA tour tournaments, but I'm also not welcome to do to play the, the fun tournaments at the club. And so when I ran, in, uh, ran into the goat, um, with knowing my friend, John Ashworth, I, I just, I, I fell in love with the place. I got to get to play in the tournaments, hang with the guys. Um, and everybody just uh, likes playing golf, and and like we set up in band, and it, I, it's it's all about the hang, and just going out and playing and and having fun and enjoying golf for what it is is, is what I really enjoy now. Yeah, so I, I should flesh out this banded thing. So um, my longtime friend Matt Janella, he's at the Golf Channel now, but started Sports Illustrated. He has mm-hmm. this he has this event uh, up in Bandon, and. It's called the Uncle Tony Invitational. It's a tribute to his old Italian uncle who uh, who got Matt into the game. It's 24 guys just eating, drinking, and playing nonstop golf and having a great time. And so we, you know, we heard Dean Wilson, PJ Tour winner, was going to come along this year as as John Ashworth's partner. And it was like, why would he want to waste his time with us? But uh, it was uh, for the rest of us it was kind of a revelation to see Dean up there just enjoying the camaraderie and. Um, you know, I, I think that's what struck all of us, Dean, that, that week was you were just like the rest of us. You're just a guy out there chasing your ball and having fun. And um, I, I guess it maybe that gets lost in, in on the tour and in tournament golf, That just that, that sense of fun and 
challenging the elements and and being around your boys and what 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 did that week mean for you yeah exactly right i mean ben and dunes what a great place for the golfer to enjoy nothing but golf and and being with uh 24 other people that feel the same like you guys that was just a lot of fun a lot of guys like i said just enjoying the game and you know the tour can be a grind there's always guys that aren't happy with their games uh you're always working towards getting a little better trying some new things you know every friday guys are upset missing the cut leaving the facility um you know so when you get around a place like bandon a group of guys like you guys just just we can just play golf and enjoy it and also enjoy the bad the bad shots and the bad the bad bounces and the bad scores that's the part that i like you can get back and have a beer and laugh at everything and it's not costing someone their living or the cut that week and and so tournament golf does that to you i think it takes that element out you know the ribbing the having fun um especially during tournament rounds a little different in the practice rounds but you know that it seems like I'm drawn more to golf that way now. I just want to hang with the boys and, and play some golf and add up the scores. Nobody on tour is drinking double transfusions at 8 a.m. <laughs> Not drinking double transfusions and limping like Frankenstein down the fairway trying to make it to the end of the round like Eddie, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. yeah Janelle's partner, Tim Hedrick, his college roommate, he... Um, he hurt his back and then he wrenched his ankle and guy was in bad shape, but he kept playing because he just, you just, you know, you get a, you get a a hall pass from your wife and kids to go play golf. You don't want to, you want to be sitting in the clubhouse. Yeah, that was great. You know, and he was already in pain with his back limping and, and we're walking down, I think it was 11 fairway and I didn't even notice. I was kind of marching ahead and I noticed uh, my whole group was way back there. And I guess he, fell and stepped in a hole and twisted his ankle, but he kept marching on the final nine and, and his ankle was completely swollen and black and blue. And, but he wanted to finish that round. And, and so that was really something, you know, yeah. cool to see. Yeah. Like you told me, that's the love of the game. I mean, on tour, they're, they're in a cart and they're heading for the physio trailer and they're calling their agent. Yeah, and... exactly. Right. Call the officials and uh, told me in, I have a blister, you know, <laughs> So what, what's the what's the fishiest uh, WD you ever saw on tour? You don't have to name names, but g- give me the circumstances. Oh, you know, I, 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 there's been a couple where guys aren't playing well and, and they know they're not going to make the cut. Let's say it's on the 27th hole, you know, they're halfway through the second round and, and they just decide it's easier to go home, catch an earlier flight and pull a fake back injury and drive in and go, you know, so I've seen a lot of that. I've never done it myself. So it's, I tell you, it was classic. It was classic watching Hetty do that and finish up the round. That was great. Yeah, that was good fun. The, um, right. I mean, one, one thing that we all loved watching you up at Bandon was you were swinging these beautiful, uh, persimmon woods that were made by Ashworth's company, Link Soul. Right. And, I mean, I hadn't seen a persimmon wood in probably 20 years. They're just gorgeous to look at and the sound. But why are you playing the old equipment? Um, well, you know, I, I first I started off being with uh, Ash down at that Gold Hill. You know, that court, his course isn't the longest course. It's 4,500 yards. You might hit a, a wood a, a handful of times. And 
you know, a couple of guys have persimmons there and, and it just started to hit them. And I noticed that, you know, I forgot what that feel was like, what it was to search for your rhythm in the golf swing so that you can play. You know, now, nowadays with the big headed titanium drivers and graphite shafts are so stable, you're just taking a big old lash and trying to see how far you can hit it. But with these persimmons, you've got to find your rhythm. And if you try to blast one, you could actually top it and hit it about 30 yards. So um, just playing those, hearing the sound, watching how far they go. And, uh, you know, you can still play legitimate golf with them. And then for uh, personally, what I like is that I can jump on the forward tees and, and have a good, good match with uh, guys at the course. Because now, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm backing off with that persimmon driver. I'm, I might be hitting about 30, 40 yards shorter. And so it just makes uh, for more fun to hit it, not hit it so far and, and hit longer shots into the um, holes. It's just it's, it's bringing back the love of the game for me, for sure. I mean, you were, you were a guy who became, I don't know if obsessed is the right word, but you were always a student of the golf swing. I mean, you worked with Mac O'Grady, right, and, and people like that how much have you devoted of, of your life to just studying the swing and, and it does, is it a, does it drive you crazy? Have you made peace with, with it? I mean, it, it's an, it's an endless search, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I have, I'm, I have complete peace with it. Um, I did study the swing a lot. Um, I feel like I do know a lot. When I, when I came out of college, I wasn't that good. So I had to kind of grind it out and learn a little um, about my swing and how to make it work a little better. And so that kind of took me down the rabbit hole to find Mac O'Grady and search for the swing. Um, but with that, I, I think came a lot of knowledge. I, I understand what makes the ball go now, um, <clears throat> which how to make the ball curved. It's, and it's not as difficult as you think. And then with that just comes peace of mind that I'm, I'm, I'm on the right path with my golf swing and not doing anything too funky. So I don't dwell on it anymore. I just try to, like I said, just enjoy it, hit, hit some good shots and have some fun. Right. I mean, Mac O'Grady is, he's such a legendary, you know, character in the game. Right. Was he, is he crazy? Is he a genius? I mean, what's your take? My, my, my take is he's, He's a little bit like um, Rain Man, where he has this genius, but it comes at a cost. And and, and with it, he is, his social graces aren't too good. So he, he takes offense to what a lot of people say. He gets upset with them and, and in his terms, quote, kicks them out. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I lasted two days with him. He gave, we did a symposium and he helped me on the range. And then when I went to go, uh, asked him how much the clinic was to write him a check. He he thought I was trying to get out of it for free and never talked to me again. So that I lasted two days. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, right. and you, I'm sure you explained it. No, Mac, I want to pay you. I don't want it for free. I mean, he just, he wasn't having it. No, he just wasn't having it. He just didn't like the term when I went over, you know, Alan, when you go over and um, you buy a cup of coffee, you, you go, okay, how much is it? And they tell you four fifty, and you give them four fifty. So we got done with the clinic. I thanked them. And I said, how much is it? And he didn't like that question. So that's, that was it. You know, and that's, you know, the guy's a genius. I, I, I like him. I still like him. I think he has a lot to offer, but you know, he, he cuts everybody off like that. And since then has never talked to me again. So that's the end of that friendship. <laughs> I mean, there's so, 
Mac, I mean, he was almost as good as a lefty as a righty. Did you get to ch a chance to see him hit shots exactly. from both sides? Oh, yeah. During the clinics, he, he showed all the shots, explained the why he does it this way, how to do it, how to hit him high, how to hit him low, how to curve him left, how to curve him right. It's, it's really amazing. And so that's where um, it stuck with me how important it was to to learn the mechanics of the golf swing and how to apply it to the best of your abilities, especially if you're trying to play the game for a living and not just go out there on a whim and swing away. Yeah. And so it was, it was because of that clinic and because of his talent and the knowledge, how he could describe everything and, and convey it over to the student. It, it was, it's very, it's phenomenal. And that my favorite O'Grady story is he, he tried to, to submit an application for U.S. Open qualifying as both a righty and a lefty. He was going to play from both sides. Right. It's, I mean, right. you got to love a guy like I that. I think the story went so far as to say if you play right-handed, he used his left brain. And if you played left-handed, he used the right side of his brain. So he's a whole new player. <laughs> That's what he was saying. I mean, God, that would be so good. I wish someone would do that. I mean, yeah. wow. Yeah. So well, he did a couple of things in the clinic where he would just flip over a right-handed club and and hit some left-handed shots with you know with a driver and and it was you know I'm all pretty good, really good. I, I saw VJ Singh do that a lot. You know, he used to kind of loosen up left-handed, yeah. kind of stretch his body out, and he could drive it probably 270 lefty with a right-handed club. It's unbelievable. <laughs> now we know why that guy's so successful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one of the reasons. I mean, you were you were on tour for, you know, the full the full Tiger Prime, VJ Phil. I mean, those were kind of the Ernie L's. Those were sort of the giants of that era. And yeah, when you think about those guys, what what pops in your mind? Uh, Tiger was his complete dominance. You know, he was so much better than the rest of us in the early two thousands, mid two thousands. He could just do everything. So just the talent-wise, Ernie, playing with him, he just made it, just like his nickname, he made it just look so easy. He's just such a big, athletic, graceful man. He just made everything look easy and simple and then in tune with his demeanor and personality. Is it, it, it just looks so easy and it, a little intimidating, to tell you the truth. And then Phil, I've been around him we're the same age, so all through college, and he just kept beating us all through college and all through the pros. Just what, what a great player. So a lot of good guys in my my era. And, and Jim Furyk, too, the quiet man that wins about 18, 19 tournaments or so, so far. Unbelievable career. It, it must get really old losing to Phil, because let's face it, I mean, the guy can be obnoxious. I mean, what it, what is it like to get beat by a guy over and over when you can't stand it? Uh right. Yeah, he just he's been doing that since college. It's just just a what do you what can you do? He's just a good player, man. So it was really nice. My college uh roommate was Mike Weir at BYU and so it was really nice to watch him be uh win the Masters the year before Phil to be, you know, the first left hander to do it. So that was kinda cool because back in college, you know, he had a little rivalry with him just because they were the two left handed dominant guys in our division. And so, and then ironically, the right after that, the year after Phil won, and then Wersey put the green jacket on him. So that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, that's sweet. I mean, it, it's in, I was going to ask you about Mike. I mean, here's a guy who's been struggling for the better part of a decade, yet he can't give up the chase. 
you know, he can't walk away. And what kind of conversations have you guys had about, you know, it's almost like he's torturing himself, but he he just can't, (laughs) he can't walk away. How hard is it for you to watch that? Yeah. Well, it might look like that from the outside, you know, but he's, he's, uh, he's still working hard. He's still battling. He still wants to play and feel like he can compete. I, I believe his short game and from 150 yards in is he's better as good or better than anybody. Um, and he, he just had a few injuries. He's working on a few things in this swing. And because of the injuries, you know, they always say um, injuries are the one that take you down. But, you know, he's had a bad wrist and a bad uh, rib, and that's just hurting his body so he can't move like how he wants. But it seems like he's turning the corner a little bit with his health, so he'll he, hopefully he's able to work a little a little more and he can get back out there. I mean, would you, would you consider getting into – you know, the swing coach business and helping out a guy like, like Mike or, or anyone. I mean, you have so much knowledge and it keeps, keeps you in the game, but you don't have that, that, that same pressure and that same grind. Mm, yeah, maybe, you know, I, 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 I do have, um, some, some players that I work with, not working with officially, but just hang out and play and give tips to, and, and they might come to me for some information and, and, and it seems like they're all progressing in the right way. So that's, that's good to know, you know, um, maybe if the right opportunity came around, um, you know, like I said, I still love the game. I just, I just don't want to travel 35 weeks a year and hit balls for 60 hours a week anymore. Well, I mean, that, that's one thing that's, you know, fun about being a swing coach is you can kind of pick your schedule, right. And you could, uh, yeah. you could do it on your terms. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that might work. I don't think your heart's in it, Dean. That that wasn't convincing. <laughs> it's you know, it's, it's I, I, everything's good over here in San Diego. Weather's really nice. The golf <laughs> is good. The weather's always good. It's tough for me to get on a plane. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, that's funny. You you alluded to it earlier, but it took you a long time to get the tour, and a pot, a lot of fans probably don't know you won six times in Japan, and that that's a pretty yeah. big deal. What, um, tell me about the early part of your career before you, you got to the U S what, what were some of the, the crazy stories and some of, some of the triumphs and some of the heartbreaks? Uh, let's see. Well, you know, just like every other kid coming out of college, I went to the U S tour school and didn't get through. So had to go elsewhere to try to make a living. And, and so I played, uh, I started off by going to the Australian tour school. I played there for two years and, um, uh, during our winter, which is their summer, I played down there. And then when I came back up and during our summer, played the Canadian tour for another two or three years. Then in the meantime, I kept going to U.S. tour school every year, but I kept missing. And so I went over to Asia and played for about four years as I continually missed tour school. <laughs> then I went over to, then I qualified and played in Japan for another three years. And then on my ninth try, I got through uh, tour school and uh, then left Japan and played the next 10 years or so in, on the PGA Tour. Let me pause for one quick second for a message from the USGA. Combining golf and life is tricky. How do you fit one into the other? Ask the USGA and they think it's pretty easy. It's called Play 9. Nine-hole golf is time-friendly, unwind-friendly, friend-friendly, It's conducive to just about every aspect of your busy, busy life. Golf after work, golf before you pick up the kids. It's possible when you play nine. 
You can even post your 9-hole score and it counts directly towards your handicap. There's a lot to love about this game, and when there's less time to play this game, the USGA says play 9. Learn more about options to play in your area by going to usga.org play 9. I mean, how, how challenging was it to go from essentially dominating in Japan to, you know, having to having to fight hard to make the cut in the U.S. And what does that do mentally to you? Yeah, right. That was, but you know, Alan, when I was when I was over there, I was having I, I I got comfortable and started playing well and and was successful. Like you said, I I won, I won six times in three years and and was always near the top of the money list. And and you know, my dream wasn't to over there and win Japanese tournaments my dream was to play on the PGA Tour so I did, that's what I just decided to do and I, and I went to that tour school and got through and just moved over it and um, I've never really looked back and wondered you know if I stayed there if I would have continued to have success or where that would have gone um, I just knew that there was better competition on the tour and that's where I wanted to be and so uh I made that decision and you know, it's a lot tougher tour, a lot tougher competition. Um, seems like a lot more travel just cause you're traveling all over the world and all over the United States versus Japan. You just stayed in Japan. You know, it's kind of like having the full tour in the state of California. That was pretty nice. Yeah, I bet. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I, I think I made the right decision coming over and doing that and, and knowing what the PGA tour is all about. So I enjoyed that transition for sure. I have to ask you, Dean. So probably 10 years ago, a dozen years, I can't even pinpoint it. I saw a woman walk out of player dining and it was like in the movies where, you know, the eyeball come out of your sockets or on springs and, and your, your tongue falls out and rolls on the ground. And uh, without a doubt, the hottest PJ tour wife slash girlfriend I've ever seen. And so I asked another player who's standing there who shall remain nameless. I said, who, who is she with? He said, Dean effing Wilson. That guy gets all the girls. <laughs> and I was like, what? Um, now, I mean, you're, you're an okay looking guy. I'll give you that. And you've got that, that mellow Hawaii thing that I expose is kind of appealing, but what was your secret? <laughs> I think she liked persimmon wood too, I guess, right? <laughs> that is such a good answer. <laughs> uh, maybe that guy was mistaken. Maybe maybe it was uh, Mark Wilson or something. <laughs> that would be an upset if it was Mark Wilson. <laughs> you, you, you just don't want to talk about this, do you? You're not giving me anything. <laughs> no. Oh, man. I thought we were talking about golf. <laughs> well, it's 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 a subsidiary of golf. You know, it's it's the perks that come with stardom. It, that's I think it's you know somewhat relevant. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Sure. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's speak in more broad terms here. If you're if you're a PGA Tour golfer, I mean, how easy is it to get distracted on on the road and uh, and kind of lose your way, shall we say? Uh, I think you could easily, you know, depend on, on anything, whether it's, whether it's from girls, whether it's from just, um, doing all the activities they might have, you have set up for you on tour where you're in Boston, you go to baseball games, you might have tickets to football games or you you want taking all the sites of all the different places. So it's, it's really easily, easy to get distracted. 
and as you know, golf is, is a sport where you got to constantly keep your skills sharp. And so, um, I think for sure, I think for sure it's an, an easy thing, but it seems like the, the kids nowadays, they, they got it all handled. They keep playing good golf every, at every turn. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, part of it is they all have these girlfriends from the time they're 21 and they never let go of them. It's almost like a career decision where, well, I could, I could, you know, chase it hard on the road, but that would affect my world ranking. So I'll just hang on to my college girlfriend and not worry about it. It's, I mean, I... Uh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that. I don't know if that path, that path wasn't the right one for me, but you know, <laughs> clearly, looking back now at our looking back at our age now, Alan, you can look back and go, man, those what I thought was right at the age of twenty one, I wasn't so right. So <laughs> I don't think there's any rush to make any form of commitment. You have to keep the rest of your life. <laughs> Just keep enjoying the enjoying the walk, enjoy the walk, and enjoy the hang. Right. I think that's the best advice that's ever come out of this this podcast. I mean, you, you're not that far from the senior tour. It, it doesn't sound like your heart is really in it, but what would it take to convince you to, to give that a go and, and commit to you know playing a, a good number of events on the senior tour? Um, well, I'm 47 now. I'm still healthy. Like, I still have my aches and pains, but I, I think you know those guys are, are really good players. So I'd have to, I'd have to you know get out and and play a lot of golf. Uh, maybe not go out so much and maybe play the web.com tour the next two years or something like that, but just make sure my, my game is sharp and as sharp as I can get it and, uh, and go to the, go, go out, out to the tour school, try to get through the top five and play. But it's just, it's just not that exciting for me anymore. If the whole tour was maybe in the state of California, I'd do it, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just traveling on and being away for another 25 weeks a year, um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to eat anymore in restaurants and be in hotel rooms. I'm just a little tired of it. To tell you the truth. And the, the kind of the adrenaline buzz of being in contention and having, you know, 5,000 people cheering and you, you don't miss that part of it. No, I don't miss that at all. Um, like I said, it got to the point where at, at the end I was enjoying the practice rounds more than the tournament. And I was just kind of, I was actually in, I felt a little embarrassed to be inside the ropes and people would yell at me and wave at me. I did, it was kind of awkward. I didn't know what to do. You know, <laughs> just a guy walking down the, walking down the fairway. And so, you know, other guys like that and, and, and maybe, um, are more in, in touch with what's going on. I'm, I'm just, I just want to play some golf. So I have, I have a lot more fun walking, uh, with you and the guys at Bend and Dunes versus walking up the 18th fairway at a tournament. That's for sure. Yeah, that, I mean that's amazing. So we we have to touch on your time at the Colonial with Annika because that was the biggest spotlight you've probably ever played in. And um, yeah. when 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 you found out the draw came down that you're going to be paired together, what, what was your initial reaction? Well, I don't know if you remember that week, but it you know we it didn't become as big as it was until the end of the week, and so it just kept going where. On Mondays, we played our practice round, and she was out there, and there was X amount of media out there. I forgot the number of badges. And then Tuesday, it got bigger. Wednesday got bigger. Thursday got bigger. So what I'm trying to say is I, I didn't know it was such a huge thing until 
Tuesday morning, what they usually do on tour is the tea times come out in the middle of the day, sometime Tuesday. They just post it and you'll get a text saying your tea time or you'll find the um, the tea times in the locker room. But this time on Tuesday morning, they gave me a call at like seven in the morning and say, hey, tea times came out, you're paired with Annika and Aaron Barber. So we'd like to do a press conference which was a little different, right? And I probably had a practice round planned at nine or 10 o'clock. And now there's a press conference. We'll go out there and all of a sudden, all the media is there and asking questions. So it became a huge, huge thing. Um, but I, I, I just kind of, I went with the flow. I was, I was, I, I really was excited to watch her play. You know, she was so far and above the number one woman's player winning an average of 10 times or so every year. So um, I think everyone was curious to see her golf tested on the tour. And, and I was, I was one of those guys. And so when I got, when I got the tee time, I was just, I was really excited, got in there, did the press conference and, uh, and just got ready to play on Thursday and just watched the animal kept growing and growing and growing. It was a huge spectacle by Thursday for sure. Did did you enjoy that, or was it kind of a drag because you just wanted to be in your own little bubble? No, you know what? I re- I really enjoyed it. Um, Annika and I are, are are the same age. She went to the University of Arizona, um, so we're both West Coast people. Um, I knew a little bit about her. I knew some friends. Uh, I uh, I had a couple of stories, and so that was one of the sto- uh, things that I. As we're walking down the first hole, you know, on the 10th hole when she hit her shot and did her little collapse and walking down the fairway, um, we just shared some stories walking down the 10th fairway. And I think uh, that's where our bond kind of hit and we just kind of were glued to each other for 36 holes. But it was, it was, I really enjoyed it. Just it was such a different atmosphere. Um, and because the crowd was so crazy and you couldn't really hear anything, I think that kept the three of us even closer together on the course because there was just so much going on outside the ropes, you know? Right. How good did she play? Oh, I thought her game was awesome. She didn't miss a fairway. Um, she missed one fairway, and that was on the fifth hole I think at Colonial and all she did was hit it straight through the dog leg um every other hole she just she hit it great she didn't make as many putts as she could have I think that's because she was more going towards the center of the greens um and then you know on Friday she didn't play so well but it was just I think uh the atmosphere and the energy and and she just got exhausted and tired it was just a little too much for one person to take on for the week. I mean, all the all the cameras and focus was on her. I couldn't imagine how exhausted she was. I mean, let's say if she had built her schedule around playing the shorter courses on tour, you know, out in Hawaii and um, Pebble Beach and you name it, when, when she was at that peak and she had a chance to, to get adjusted, do you think she could have kept her card across a full season? I would say I would, I'm just going to take the words that she said, and she said that if she had that opportunity, her goal would be to finish in the top 125, and she was she she was hopeful she could do that, but not sure she could. Um, and so, you know, as you know, as you follow golf now, these guys are hitting it so much further than they were 
four years ago, five years ago. And the courses are getting a lot longer. So if the golfer can't hit that ball that far, it, it becomes really hard on tour courses. So I would have to guess that um, it'd be a, a really tough task right now for someone, for her to keep her card. Yeah. Sure if she wanted to on the PGA Tour. Yeah, well, I was thinking more back when she was in her prime around the turn of the century, you know, before things got really crazy distance-wise. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, man, I, I, I don't know. She, she was very impressive for sure. Um, I'm, I would say that'd be a tall task back then for her to keep keep her card. Does does it um does it offend the purest in you the way the game is changing and it's so much about power? Um, I don't know if it offends me. I can just see the, the changing characteristics of it. And so, you know, you, you, you go out and you, you watch every junior golfer. They're just blasting it as far as they can. They can. They're not, um, there's no need for them to curve it one way and then curve it the other way or try to play one low or play one high. So it, it, it is different. Um, I'm more in love with the game that I played growing up where you curve it a little and, you know, hit it high, hit it low versus just blasting the driver and then wiping it. But uh, I wouldn't say it offends me, but it is a different game for sure, don't you think, Alan? Oh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt. I, you know, I started covering the tour in 94. That was the big Bertha was, was just kind of becoming a thing. You know, guys were still playing Balada balls. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's incredible how much it's changed. And, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say for the better. It, it, it is, it is fun to watch these guys swing the driver. I mean, I enjoy that as much as anybody, but for sure, it's discouraging when, you know, on a, it was supposed to be a long, hard par four. Everyone's hitting wedge. I mean, I think it does take some of the challenge out. It does take some of the artistry out. And, um, I think that's a, that's a long-term problem for the game, but th that's a different podcast. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm playing these persimmon woods last year. So it's made me really appreciate um, the old style of the game where you've got to try to, you're not just blasting it over every corner and, and you're, you got to try to shape these drivers a little bit and, and, and you have longer second shots in, you know, so that's the one thing with this persimmon wood that's, it's brought my long irons back into play. Yeah, I bet. And uh, a lot of holes where I'd be hitting a, a, a driver and literally a hundred yard wedge and I've got, you know, 190 yards in. And thinking about a five iron or a four iron or something, so it's it's kind of fun. When you um when you when you use a modern driver, is do you have to change your your golf swing at all, or is it is it just the uh, the feel of it and 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 you know the line you take? Yeah, just the feel and the line. I I I, I move the uh, used to move the ball position a little bit. Um, with these the new drivers, I like to uh, hit up on the ball so that ball goes a little farther forward. But with the persimmons, you're not hitting up so much, you know, and you're not teeing them up so high. You tee it up really high now and look, and look at it with that little persimmon head. It looks like you can miss it. So <laughs> you're not teeing it too far off the ground. And, and I don't know. It's, yeah, just, it's just a lot of fun for sure. That's great. So let, let's let's end this with with uh, reminiscing about you know the high point of your your tour career. The uh, the old international in Denver was one of my favorite tournaments. Yeah. And, you know, Castle Pines is a great venue, and they had that funky Stableford system, which which I enjoyed. 
and um, right, it, it was just it was just a, it was just a cool place and and always a good tournament. So, uh, why did you win that week and no other? What was special about that week? You know, Alan, I have no idea. So every summer, I'd, I'd help out at BYU and and uh, the country club there. That was real nice to me, and they'd always have their member guest tournament approximately that week. And on my ten years on tour, I only played the international one time. Amazing, and I won, and I, I I don't understand, you know, because you go up there in the altitude, and the the course is long, the ball goes really far, and so um, I, I I would think, you know, going to school in Utah, going back and forth from Hawaii to Utah, and and having to add and subtract the altitude and how far the ball goes, that might have helped over there, but. Uh, I don't have any rhyme or reason why just the one year I played, I won that tournament. See, I, that, I always wonder if when, when, when guys win, if, if it's a feeling you get early in the week, if there's, if there's something different in your preparation, it, it sounds to me like it's, it's totally random is what you're telling me, which is not totally, it's not completely satisfying to us as fans and observers. We'd like, we'd like to know why it happens. Yeah. I don't know. I think, uh, it's probably just like what you said. You just feel good about your game. Things are falling into place, um, and the ball bounces your way. I know that just sounds so cliche, but you know that's just the way it goes. It, you, when you take Jack Nicklaus's career, how many tournaments did that guy play? Seven hundred something, and he and he wins seven. He wins ten percent. He's the best ever in the world. One out of ten, right? <laughs> Maybe. And so, you know, then you how many tournaments that I play and you, well, I went a handful and, and somewhat successful, but that's still a very low percentage, you know? So with golf, I, I just, I, I think you just kind of keep working at it, keep pursuing. And then those weeks that everything kind of gels and falls together and, 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 and you end up outscoring everybody else. But, uh, yeah, my game that, that summer was always pretty good. You know, it felt pretty good, but doesn't mean I was in contention. You know, so sometimes the ball bounces your way, I guess. I mean, one thing that's funny about winning is you're obviously playing late on Sunday and you have the trophy ceremony and the press conferences. And by by the time you can kind of look around, it everyone's gone, right? The locker room's empty. Right. They're breaking down the bleachers. Right. Is, is, it, is it a funny feeling like you, you want to celebrate, but there's no one to party with? Right. Well, exactly. Right. It's just, uh, what happened with me was, uh, Tom Lehman and I went into a playoff. We had a, I, I ended up burning the second hole. So I won the playoff in the second hole, did an hour or so of press conference and got back to the locker room and literally everybody was gone. The only guy there was the locker room attendant and one other player was Ernie Els and his caddy Ricky. <laughs> and they were staying the night and traveling the next morning to the PGA championship. And so, uh, I stayed there all night and partied with Ernie Els, celebrating my first win. Couldn't couldn't have had a better night. But like you said, everybody was gone. Everyone's gone, and so um, you know, as a single guy on tour, not having a family out there, kids. Once everything wrapped up, I found myself sitting in front of my locker again with my with my luggage, going, "Okay, let's go to the next hotel. Where's my Where's my What time is my flight?" You know, (laughs) kind of funny. Well, I mean, if you're going to pick one guy to to, um, to be left behind, I mean, Ernie's a pretty solid choice. The, the guy can, he can get after it. 
for sure. But you're going to be in for some damage when you're partying with Ernie and he's celebrating your win. He's going to get you really messed up. So you got to be prepared for that. And he likes to wrestle too when he gets a little drunk and he's huge. So, <laughs> Are you telling me that after you won the international, you wound up wrestling with Ernie L? <laughs> after he got me drunk, yeah, he wanted to push and shove a little bit. <laughs> he's crazy, but he's great. <laughs> well, I mean, they should they should teach that to PGA Tour rookies. You know, it's a cautionary tale. When you win your first time, give Ernie a wide berth, or you're going to be in a headlock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Well, this is this has been enlightening on any number of ways, Dean. When, uh, I appreciate your time and and your thoughtfulness. This was great fun. So thanks for doing this. All right. Thanks, Alan. My pleasure. It was fun. All right. Well, all you listeners out there, thanks for putting up with us. Uh, appreciate the loyalty. We're wrapping up here with uh, Dean Wilson. This is Alan Shipnuck for The Knockdown. Hope you'll come back next week when we'll have another guest who's far less interesting, I'm sure. 